You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, my name is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, on the Broadway Podcast Network. My next guest, I reached out to him and invited him to tea because I was so impressed with his work. And when we met for tea on the Lower East Side, he shared with me, we both have Stephen Sondheim horror stories. (laughs) I'm going to tell mine first because his has a happy ending. <laughs> Join me in welcoming director, artistic director, John Doyle. Hey, John. Hey, Tanya. Lovely to talk to you. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you my Stephen Sondheim short. It actually starts good and then it goes bad. But isn't that how life is? Like the best possible thing becomes the worst possible thing becomes the best sure. possible thing. Sure. So my very first Broadway show was Merrily We Roll Along. And I was a freshman in college and I went and auditioned in New York for Hal Prince and Steve Sondheim and got to come to New York and do a Broadway show. And Stephen Sondheim always terrified me. And I would try to figure out ways I could connect to him. And so I had been listening to Cleo Lane sing his music and he had never didn't know she was. And so I made him a cassette tape of some Cleo Lane singing his music. And it was, he said it was an abomination. (laughs) (laughs) Like only he can. (laughs) And I thought, oh dear, that's the end of me. (laughs) And Stephen Sutton. And then years later, uh, some friends of mine and I were thinking about trying to do a Sweeney Todd with me and Chuck Cooper. Wonderful. And they were young. And, and and I said, let's set it in the South. You know, how cool would it be to have Mrs. Lovett? You know, she's just a very good cook on some plantation. And and uh, the Barker is, you know, the thing. And then they start killing people. I thought, I said, that is great. So the young director um, wrote Stephen an email because he wanted Stephen's blessing for it. And he didn't get it. Stephen said, it sounds like you want to do 12 Years a Slave, the musical. I wouldn't recommend it. 
<laughs> but he'll always give you something. He'll always be honest, whatever it is. Yes. Now you have a, a story that sounds bad and it goes good. What's your story? Well, I was doing a production of Sweeney Todd in London, and it was going pretty well, right? It had been nominated for an Olivier Award and all that stuff. And the producers of the show wanted Sondheim to approve it going to come into New York. Uh, without ever asking my opinion upon the matter, <laughs> like these people do, they filmed the show from the back of the auditorium with a single camera and sent it to Steve Sondheim. I knew nothing about mm. this, but they also gave him my telephone. Oh number. my God. So on a Saturday night, and the reason I remember it was a Saturday night was gin and tonic time, six o'clock in the evening. And I get this call from this voice that said, hello, this is Stephen Sondheim. And I thought, oh yeah, oh sure. Thinking, you know, this is some friend trying to have a joke. Well, he, he said, no, this is Stephen Sondheim. I thought, oh, you better back off, John. And I was terrified. And, and he started to rip me apart about the things that I'd done for the show. And like, you know, why did you cut this bit? Why did you do that? And it was all, everything he had to say was completely fair. Yeah, I had had a four-week rehearsal period in a tiny regional theater, never thought anybody would see it. The rest is history. And I was so upset that I'd upset my hero that I think I got became tearful on the phone. And in fairness to him, because as you know, not only can he be terrifying, but he can also be kind and generous and warm. That's the real man. And he said... I've, you've been put in a position that you shouldn't have been put into. I'm going to come to London and I'm going to see the show. So he showed up and uh, he saw it and he said to me afterwards, he said, I had no idea that it was what it is. I, had, I You couldn't tell from that mm. camera. And then it came to Broadway. Mm. So it had a very, very happy ending. And you know what? I'm still scared of him. So it doesn't go away. He's so smart. I remember, He's scary. Oh, so smart. I remember Elaine Stritch saying to me, that, and she didn't drink anymore, so she said, and she said, I need two drinks just to phone Stephen sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Just from his lyrics, you, know. you feel like he sees your soul and he's going to write a monologue about it. Oh, my God, yes. And isn't it incredible, too, with his material that you can listen to it and every time you think, oh, I've never heard that before. Even something as famous as Send in the Clowns. You, know, you start to think, what does maybe next year mean? Or what does what do the clowns mean? I mean, like, really, when you get the, it's poetry. I mean, he, I think the thing about him, Tonya, is he's a playwright as well as, a, you know, as well as writing music. Everything, and as well as being an extraordinary lyricist, there is playwriting and character material at the heart of every word that comes out of his songs. Extraordinary. Yes, he's kind of the Edward oh, Albee oh. of musical theatre. No doubt about it. There's just no doubt about it. And the funny thing is, I mean, I can see him say that about, you know, Trophy <laughs> as a Slave. 
Actually, probably knowing him as well, if he'd met your director, he might have, and liked him, he might have said yes. Do you know? I mean, there's my friend Marianne Elliott doing a, a, a production of Company about to be on Broadway, hopefully, with a, a woman playing Barbie. And, you know, that's a big shift from what they wrote. But not only has he allowed it, he's, he's given it, you know, all his approval. That's a fantastic thing, really. I remember when I was doing Pacific Overtures and I met with John Weidman and we agreed that there was one song of Pacific Overtures that should be cut, the song Chrysanthemum Tea. And um, really for many reasons, but one of which was, you know, you really couldn't quite believe that Japanese people would sing that song. And not only that, but they only make Japanese uh, Chrysanthemum Tea in China, not Japan. So it didn't actually make any sense. And we, and, but it's a wonderful, wonderful song. And he, we went to Steve Sondheim's house, John Wyman and I, and he said, we told him, and he said, well, yeah, I think you should try it without it. And and it, we did it without it, and it was very successful, except, of course, all the people who wrote online about the cutting of chrysanthemum tea who blamed me, and it was all John Wyman's fault. It was your fault <laughs> for having that idea. <laughs> for having an idea, you get blamed. Exactly. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love how he has grown over the years because at that point, that was the 80s. I mean, I remember uh, um, Eartha Kitt telling me that she had changed a word in uh, I'm Still Here to make it more personal and she got a cease and desist letter. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I also, I don't blame him. But like, it's a way of saying, look, I am still in control of my work, you know. Um, but he's also, he is a great, great collaborator. I mean, there's just no I wanna, question. You just said you know, control of our work. I want to I talk about that because I don't ever really feel I'm in control of my work. And as I've in, ventured hmm. into directing, um, I definitely don't feel that theater directors get to be in control of their work. And I have to say, as an actor, when I'm teaching actors, I always say, the bear's going to do what the bear's going to do. That director can tell you a whole bunch of things, but when you get out on that stage, you can do anything you want to do. So <laughs> what is it like as a director? You know, do you let go of control? Do you feel you have to have control or you're like, there's only so far I can go. And You know, I don't have a big control. I think when I was younger, I had more of a control thing in me. But I don't have it anymore, thank God. I, I, I was I, I hit a point in my forties where I thought I've either got to let I've either got to stop this job or let this need for control go. Um, and I decided to continue doing the job, but to try to find a different way in, and to try to find my way in, not being one about my having the answers, but one about my having the questions. And to ask only questions to which I don't know the answer. Otherwise, so what it's did it look like when you wanted to have control? What was that version of you like? You know, I was really good at, you know, come in the French windows and don't bump into the furniture. And, and everything was very structured. And the actors would go home feeling very secure at night. And, you know, and I, and I, they did it. They did it my way as a little too strong, but, but you know, that's what it used to be. Like 30 years ago, that's what ex directors were expected to tell people where to stand and how to be good. You know, it, it, the system has, thank God, the methodology, not always, 
but many times has changed. And I'm very, I'm much, much more interested in the collaborative experience. And I, you asked about letting go of it. I, I love change. I don't like to go and watch the same thing every night. I was very struck when I came to this country in the stage management room, there would be those books on a shelf that said, it's, you know, so, so Tonya's track and Paddy Lapone's track. And I said to them, what does that word track mean? Because in Britain, we don't use the word. And they said, well, you know, it's what they're, what they're supposed to do every night. And I thought, God, I mean, the thought of saying to somebody, this is what you're supposed to do, to me is shocking. Now, if I do believe that if you rehearse thoroughly, properly, in a shared experience, then a truly shared experience, then the actor is not going to change it because they fancy changing it. They're actually going to believe in the choices that you made together. And it's the word together that matters most. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not about dictatorship. It's not about, uh, it's, it's good practice. It's about finding good practice, which is God knows what we should be doing all the way through our lives. But it's certainly what, what we should be doing in a rehearsal. Now, for me, what I saw your color purple, I don't know, 10 times maybe. And um, I brought so many people there. And um, one of the things that, you know, as an actor and as an educator and going into the universities, one of the challenges I find for Black American actors is that I feel like um, their uh, teachers who are not Black try to train their Blackness out of them. <clears throat> and so a lot of Black American actors come out with this kind of neutral human being, uh, you know, they're just neutral human being. The life is, is out of them. And though they become very successful because they are behaving in a way that makes dominant culture very comfortable with them. They're not quote scary, but they also yep. lack, they, they lack an authenticity. Yeah. And in, in both your color purple and in your Carmen Jones, I was struck by the fact that I was like, how did this white guy be comfortable with letting black people be black people? <laughs> like, you know, wasn't he scared? He's, you know, from the GB, <laughs> you know? I <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I was, I was scared about it all, you know? I mean, I did it first of all, as you know, in Great Britain and the issues are different there. I mean, the, the integration, if you like, the, the working together has a much longer history. And black actors have played major roles at the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Royal National Theatre. You know, they've not only played the maid, you know, they've been integral to the work. And so, and, and when I was asked to do the piece at the Chocolate Factory, I turned it down uh, three times in total um, for lots of reasons. One being British, one being male, one being white, uh, and, and also I felt a little old to tell it for some reason. But but the male, the, Brit, the the white man bothered me. And the man bothered me as much as the white, to be honest, at that point in time. Because I thought, this is a really, it's a woman's, it's, it's told from a woman's point of view. I But I if made myself go back and look at the novel. And I thought, you know what, I, I went to university in Georgia, Athens, Georgia, in the 19, early 1970s. And I certainly, therefore, knew more about the culture that the play is set in, that the piece is set in, than 
than did any member of the cast that I was working with in London because they're not African Americans, <clears throat> right? They're they're British actors, uh, and and the so the questions really never arose. The production did well. Ben Brantley gave it a rave review, and God damn it, it came to Broadway. And I thought, oh, now I am in shit, right? I'm in trouble now, because how am I going to justify those same questions? With, with not only for the audience, but with a company of African-American actors. And I sat down with, I sat the actors down with me, sitting on the floor like I would do with them on the first day and said, listen, I... There are many, many elements of this story that I understand. I understand the church of the story. I understand the poverty of the story, where I come from in the Highlands of Scotland. I understand some of the aggression and the violence of the story. I'm a Christian, so I understand resurrection, which is what a big part of the story is. Um, but I'm not African-American, as is obvious. So... We're going to tell you, we have to tell this together. You have to tell me when I'm wrong or inappropriate. Um, we, in all sorts of ways, not only appropriateness in terms of the actual telling of the story, but I may use a phrase that to you is inappropriate and I don't know it is in the way we're working together. So you're going to have to constantly pull me up. And I will do the same with you, but you're really going to have to do that. Um, uh, and that's what happened. And they were all, they were wonderful. I mean, they were a wonderful company, and they were uh, they they were very very sharing with me. But the one thing I did say to them all the time was, you know, I know we're doing a musical, but I don't want you to be doing your normal African American mm. black musical theater performances. I don't want to see any mm. big butts wiggle to get a laugh. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying, Tonya. I don't want to see cliches. I don't want to see those tropes. And I was so struck by we we opened, as you know, it did very it had great reviews. Blah blah blah. Um, one of the actors in the company, one of the more senior actors of the company, was sitting backstage with me one day, and she thanked me. I said, what for? And she said, and I'm going to quote a word that I would not normally use, but I want you to see it in context. She said, thank you for not asking us to do any cooning. I said, what? She said, that's what's asked of us, John. You don't know that because you've not been in those rooms, but that's what's asked of us. And you didn't want that from us. You wanted authenticity from you wanted us to be us you didn't want us not to be black you didn't want us to be a, a eurocentric version of ourselves because you wanted it to be authentic to georgia putnam county at the time that alice was writing about but you didn't want us to do that schlepping around that we're normally asked to do it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you talked about growing up in the Highlands. Scot- I did. Now, I, I, this is going to sound so crazy, but it's called You Can't Say That, so I can say anything. I think of the Scotsmen as like the black people of Great Britain. I don't know why, <laughs> but I always, whenever I meet a Scots person, I'm like, these are the, these are the black people. You know, you <laughs> might have something. You might have something in that, you know. The, it, there's, look, anything we say is like a cliche, isn't it? but there is an openness there's a, a love of music, of course. There's a love of song. There's a love of church. Family is important. Food is important. Um, you know, you might be right. And also, to the, at, the, at, the, at the core of it, the Scots feel oppressed by the English. Mm. Yeah. Don't forget that we were cleared out of our country Right. I mean, you know, the the the, the rich English people cleared the highlands mm. and sheep in the place of where human beings lived, and we were all sent. We weren't. I wasn't. But my ancestors were sent on ships to Canada and to America mm. with no sense of where they were going. Mm. So there is a connection in that, actually, and and uh, there's a stuff to do with identity and. And it's so fascinating because I, I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, people talk about what's appropriate in the theatre. You know, is it appropriate for a white director to direct a black play? Is it appropriate for a, a black actor to be in a white? All of those questions. And I, I've been thinking about the questions about as a Scot, you know, is it appropriate for English actors to play Scottish parts? It, I mean, I don't have an answer, but it's a really interesting question. And... I was in a call one day not so long ago with somebody I didn't know. This is not with you. You can be. You can put on a Scots accent, and I'm perfectly happy because I love you and I'm comfortable with that. But I was in a call with somebody that I didn't know, and they spoke back to me with a Scottish accent. Mm. I, I didn't say anything, but I thought, you know, if I did that to you, like, and I pretended to be you as an American. You wouldn't like it. Mm. So let's be respectful, but and also as Scots, we think of it. We think of ourselves as a race. Mm. The English don't think of themselves as a race, but the Scots think of themselves as a race. What does that mean? I suppose it means a deep family. You know, we are cl- we are we're a country made up of clans. Right, and the clans are families. You know, the MacDonalds, the sons of Donald, 
the Mackenzies, the sons of, 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 of Kenzie. You know, we are, that's who we are. Now, we all fought with each other constantly. As family does. Uh, as family does. But there's, there are tribes inside that, if you know what I'm saying, right? There, there are various tribes in it. You know, Glencoe was a famous battle in Scotland in the 18th century, 17th century, actually. The McDonald's and the Campbell's. I too, when I was at high school, there were Campbell's and McDonald's in my class. They would not sit on the same side of the room. Mm. Three centuries after that battle was fought, mm. so there's stuff inside that. And I suppose that's what I mean more than anything by race. It hasn't obviously to do with color, but it has to do with you know we're Celts. It's a very particular. Thing. It's a very particular thing. I want to. So I don't think you're wrong. I want to know more about that because, strangely, I have always had a kinship for Celtic things. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but I have an attraction to Celtic things. I, I, not to my knowledge that I have any Scottish people, but there's a, you know, I, I feel like whatever makes this thing that we are, we're all parts of it and we keep moving. So I'm sure I got some Celtic genes or cells in me from somewhere because I feel it. Well, well, that's probably true. You also carry wisdom. And I think a lot of the Celts, the Celtic mythology, if you like, is about the celebration of wisdom, uh, the celebration of the story. You know, we have a big festival in the Highlands where I come from, a, a Gaelic festival uh, for, of the original language of the country, where we crown the bard, we crown the storyteller at the end of the day. Uh, so the storyteller is important, and the and and holiness is important, spirituality is important. Um, and so there are connections. It's not surprising to me that you would be drawn to things Celtic. Musically, there's a, there's a sense also in the Celt of uh, being comfortable with your own melancholia, being comfortable, comfortable with your sadness, that your sadness is a part of your happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think I think that's probably something in, in who you are. I can I can understand. And uh, you know. When we we did when you asked me to go out for a cup of tea, we'd never met, but we connected immediately, and that's that's not to do with being famous Tonya Pinkins and famous John Donnell in the theatre. That's to do with some spiritual mm-hmm. connection. So that what you're saying makes sense. To I want to get that the thing you talked about being comfortable with your sadness. Like I feel like that's my power. And I feel like that's been lost in the world right now, in Western civilization. You know, people get their will is frustrated and they go out and kill a bunch of people or cancel yeah. culture. What What is, can you say from your point of view, what it's like to grow up in a culture that is comfortable with the sadness and the melancholy? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, there was, it often, that, that sadness often, transferred itself into anger, particularly from men uh, who weren't so comfortable with their sadness, maybe. And of course it can transfer, it's a cliche, but it can transfer itself in Scotland into drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, But there was also, you know, our music is sad. Our songs are sad, beautiful and sad. And 
uh, and maybe, but it's sad, it's sad not in a self-pitying way. It's something to do with being comfortable with nostalgia, uh, comfortable with sentimentality. I was very surprised when I came to America and people would, would uh, criticize actors for being sentimental. And I would think, oh, wait a minute, sentimental in Scotland is good. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be schmaltzy. That's not what I'm talking about. But but it has to, it's a deep, it's to do with deep feelings. And uh, I think the other thing that you're, you're absolutely right about we're not comfortable with it enough with our own sadness, and goodness knows we should be because we're mm-hmm. surrounded by it at this moment. Um, but also we are uncomfortable with our silence. And I'm, I'm always saddened by how I go to the theatre more and more as time is going on, and I think nobody stops for a pause. Nobody takes their time. Nobody's, everybody's afraid of silence. As much as I love this country, it's worse in America than anywhere else I know. <laughs> and you think, why can't, it's okay that we can be quiet. It's okay that we sit and say nothing. It's, it's I, I did a musical that Harvey Feinstein wrote that Faith Prince was in, and there was a moment quite near the end of it, uh, uh, it, was, it was called A Catered Affair, it was on, on Broadway for a short time, and there was one minute of silence that she, she was supposed to go out onto her um, fire escape and be by herself. And I said, I want this to last a minute. Everybody thought I was completely mad. You can't do that, it's a musical, John. I said, let's just, this woman does, this woman no longer knows how to scream and shout. She's done. All she knows is the silence of the night. And we did this minute every night and you could, within the minute, you could hear people sob inside the auditorium. More than any song could ever do, right? Because the silence made them afraid. and I think we we have to regain some of that. Now, look, you know, we've just endured four years of such noise and agony uh, with the President of the United States that it's going to take us a long time to refine calmness, mm. let alone silence. You know, and and it's, it seems a shame to me that every single thing in the world in the world is about uh, uh, short bursts. You know, one of the things that I love about the notion of podcast is that it's asking people to listen. And in the listening, we imagine, you know, I was raised on the radio, with listening to the radio on a Saturday night because we didn't have a television. We sat around and we looked at the radio and voices coming out of it and imagined. And without that ability to imagine, we're done. And to me, there's so much imagining being done for us, it's being imposed upon us, that we're not taking enough time to be still. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is dead. Tanya Pinkin's horror film, Red Pill, brings African-American perspective to progressive movement. We are a majority in this country, and we're going to win the election. Do you know what the red pill is? 
A red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. This place is spooky. Some people like to live dangerously. Gas, why are you so jumpy tonight? You know what, guys? I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? I don't see the case. This place creeps me out. I think we should call the sheriff's office. missing or dead are brown people they're after all of us what do we do amelia we die but we take some of them with us hey it's leslie Odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.